0: This morning we've got the special privilege of having uh, Tom McConnell uh, preach. Uh, he and his wife have been married for 23 years and they have five children, Joshua, who just graduated from the Master's University, and Josiah, Jonathan Joy, and Julia. And um, Tom uh, graduated from the Master Seminary in 1999 with his Masters of Divinity. A couple years later, with a THM, and then they were sent out in 2003 to plant uh, to do church planting in Great Britain. And for the last 10 years, they've been working at a church in Rugby and have just passed the uh, the mantle, so to speak, over to a young pastor. And so they've moved on from that ministry and they are now back in the states, preparing for their next uh, phase. And uh, Tom is uh, actually. Through the generous donation of a young pastor, uh, he is being able to go and get his doctorate uh, in counseling. Both he and his wife are certified biblical counselors, and, um, and they've just had a wonderful ministry. Tom's been here to preach one time before. I forget how long ago that was. 2018. Okay, so let's welcome on up uh, Tom McConnell.
1: Well, good morning, Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church. It is a delight to be with you uh, after five years um, uh, of being away from you. Last time we were here in 2018, I was accompanied by two Portuguese brothers who shared their testimony. I'm not sure uh, who was here then, five uh, years ago, but. Uh, Um, We have an update to give you. Pastor Mike said that I can give a a little bit of an update missionary presentation before I invite you to open God's word and we spend time in God's word together. So for the next five to seven minutes, I'd like to do that and give you an update. I'm going to ask for I have some helpers in the back. So Sam, if you uh, can go ahead and and put our picture up there as uh, as Mike said, Um, We're the McConnells, and um, we've been missionaries for 20 years in the United Kingdom. And uh, we have, uh, just as Mike said, completed the church planting process. Um, We didn't turn it over to a younger man. We turned it over to an older man. Uh, He is a fellow elder uh, with me for the last 10 years. He's uh, in his 60s. He's left a secure, secular job. Um, He's a British brother. He was in the ministry before us. He's pastoring the church right now. And um, we want to give you also an update uh, on, uh, uh, on Claudio Farina, who shared his testimony. Um, I don't see any pictures there, so I'm not seeing what you're seeing behind me. Uh, but um, that's Claudio and, uh, and his uh, wife, Nikki. And there are three lovely children. Uh, Claudio was here and shared his testimony. And he is a, a fellow elder. He's one of three elders at Grace Bible Church Rugby. And um, he, in January, was sent out by our church to be our first church planting missionaries from our little church plant. Um, And now we're planting another church on this Portuguese island called Madeira. It's uh, a beautiful place physically. It's called the Pearl at the Atlantic. It's It's the island where he was born. He and Sandro were born. It's 90 some percent Roman Catholic. And physically, because of its beauty, um, it not only has uh, a million tourists who visit uh, each and every year, you can see uh, the uh, the runway there. Uh, it is one of the top 10 most dangerous uh, uh, airports to fly into in all of Europe. Uh, the, the, that runway um, sneaks up on you. They cheered when we landed the first time there and I said, why is everyone cheering? They said, because we landed. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, yeah, planes go up and come down. And they said, well, did you see how short the runway was? I said, no, I've got the bulkhead here. That's where you put me. And uh, they said, well, not many planes are falling in the Atlantic anymore. They've extended the run- runway. But uh, most people, uh, are, it's a, it, because of its beauty, it's an it's a island where affluent people would go um, they would leave uh, from southern England and they would take um, their carnival cruise ships and they would uh, they would come to the port of Funchal, which is the port that you could see right there. Uh, and that's where most of the million people um, uh, come in uh, via uh, to the island, either by plane, mostly by boat. Um, it is a is a dead island spiritually. Um, as you're going to hear the testimony of, uh, of Claudio. I, I couldn't bring you uh, with me to Madeira, but I'm bringing a little bit of Madeira to you this morning via video uh, that Claudio and I have put together, so you might know how to pray for him and for us. The next, um, I think the next is the next uh, slide is at the video. So if you can put the lights down, and, and we'll let Claudio introduce himself to those that uh, you weren't here five years ago. And so you know how to pray for him. Thank you.
2: Hello, my name is Claudio Feringa. Along with my wife, Nikki, and our three beautiful children, we are church planting missionaries from Grace Bible Church Rugby. Our burden is to preach the gospel and plant a church on my home island called Madeira. Thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time to first introduce ourselves to you and then to tell you about our church planting effort we call The Madeira Project. I grew up on the island of Madeira in a nominal Catholic family having never heard the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. That all changed in 2011, when the Lord saved my older brother, Sandro, who was living in Rugby, England. Just as Andrew did with his brother Simon Peter in the Gospels, my brother Sandro introduced me to the Savior. Having just been saved himself, Sandro rang me in Madeira and told me, Claudio, there is a God, and you can know him. At first I thought he was crazy, but he convinced me to move from Madeira and joined him in Rugby, England. Once I arrived in England, I spent a few months talking with my brother and others about the Gospel. As I read and wrestled with the convicting words of Scripture condemning me as a sinner, the Lord opened my eyes to my sin and my need of Jesus Christ alone to save me. I repented of my sin, confessing Jesus to be my only Lord and Savior. Since that day, my life has been completely transformed by God's grace and by His Word. Over the last four years, I have been studying God's Word through a biblical and theological training program given to me by Grace Bible Church Rugby. The goal of this training was not only to help me to grow in my walk with the Lord, but also to prepare me to plant and pastor a church in Madeira. In the Lord's providence, about two years ago, the elders of Grace Bible Church Rugby invited me to serve with them as a fellow elder. Serving as an elder has given me so many opportunities to experience pastoral ministry firsthand. It continues to be my joy to minister God's Word to the church. As an elder I have many spiritually fulfilling jobs I get to do, such as discipling faithful men, leading our church's evangelism team in rugby, baptizing believers in obedience to the Lord's commands, and driving home the sufficiency of Scripture in our church's biblical counseling ministry. There's still so much more for me to learn, and I trust the Lord would continue to help me grow in spiritual maturity and godliness as I give myself to faithfully read, study, and obey His Word. Having completed my pastoral and church planting training, our mission now is to return to the island of Madeira to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of the current spiritual state of Madeira, this island desperately needs the gospel. We would like to ask you to join us in planning a church in Madeira by becoming ministry prayer partners with us. We feel our great need for the Lord's help, so we ask you to partner with us in prayer. Please pray that the Lord would prepare and open hearts of people on Madeira to receive the gospel. Please pray that the Lord would help us to raise the necessary support we need to plant a church on Madeira. Please pray that the Lord would raise up like-minded ministry prayer partners for this gospel-preaching, church-planting work on Madeira. There is more to tell you about the Madeira Project. If you want to know more or if you would like to receive our free missionary newsletters, email us at plant at gmail.com. Thank you for taking a few minutes to let us share with you who we are and the burden we have to reach Madeira with the saving gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Well, he is a son in the faith to me, Claudio, and his brother Sandro are sons in the faith to me. Sandro is um, planting a, a church already. He's been there for about eighteen months to two years with an all millennial group, um, of, a Grace Baptist group. So. Once Claudio, who is an elder at our church, uh, if the Lord blesses and brings a church into existence, there'll be like a Sproul MacArthur kind of uh, relationship with these two churches. The, the island can has 200,000 Madeirans on it, and, um, and it can house easily 10 evangelical churches there. So we praise God that the gospel has returned to the island of Madeira. If you, if you haven't been by the missionary table, let me invite you before uh, you leave today and go to your homes, please go by and, and, and grab one of the, uh, the cards uh, for Claudio. There's a QR code on there. You can see the video again through the QR code, but you can also sign up to receive his missionary newsletter. You'll know that his missionary newsletter looks awfully like ours because we're training him how to be a missionary, and uh, his training is still ongoing with some of these aspects. But uh, we would also like for you to be able to pick up um, a missionary uh, card for our family, the McConnells. Uh, and so forth. In January, we sent uh, the Farinas uh, to, from Rugby to uh, Madeira, and they've landed and they've set up uh, their house on the east side of uh, the island in a place called Machico. and Claudio is already evangelizing. There, there are no believers there connected uh, with that. He's just doing evangelism three to five days a week. Um, that's, uh, we're, we're, it's a step of faith. We don't know that the Lord wants uh, a church there, uh, until he regenerates someone through the preaching of the gospel. And so we, we're we praying that over the next year or two, we'll be able to see the Lord give birth to a church. And we would like for you to pray uh, with us in that regard. For our family, my wife says, you do a lot of talking for Claudio. Is anyone going to ever know about the McConnells? So we would like for you to pray for us as well. We have three particular um, uh, mis- missionary needs that we have, and if you want, you can take your f- phones out. Just keep the ringer off and snap a picture of that screen. There, uh, we our church uh, uh, our church needs a, its own building. We have about fifty adults and forty five children, and no no normal place or steady place for us to meet over 10 years that's really the primary threat to our church is our uh, is our uh, homelessness Um, we've hired out many places particularly schools that when they find out that we're not lgbtq compliant they find a way to not renew our lease or to kick us out and so we really need a place of our own but um, uh, prices uh, in rugby england are kind of like prices uh, uh, here in california it'll cost about $1.2 million uh, just to have a, a building that would be suitable for our congregation. Um, and if uh, if the past is any indication, when we did have a sizable building, our, our congregation tends to grow. We get a lot of people visiting who would like to be a permanent part. But uh, uh, if you don't have a building, like in America, you're viewed as a cult almost. Uh, so the building uh, to many Europeans is the church. We know differently from the scriptures that the church is the ecclesia, the, the people. So thank you for praying for us. Uh, you can uh, scan that QR code uh, and that will take you to our next slide there. It'll take you to this little form. Uh, Thank you, Sam. It's very easy. In 60 seconds, you can be signed up. And we won't bombard you with emails, but once a month, maybe once every other month, we'd like to update you on what's happening on the mission field in Rugby, England. And um, and then at the bottom of that missionary newsletter uh, are our points for praise and prayer. So you can pray intelligently for us. You don't have to pray just generally. Again, grab one of our missionary uh, prayer cards, put it on your refrigerator, and we would appreciate uh, you continuing to partner with us. Many of you five years ago began praying for us. Um, we want to say thank you for the church's support in 2022 for your financial gifts uh, to help us to stay on the field. And just as a as a um, as a uh, for a voice of clarity, while we have completed the church planning process in May and turned it over to my British uh, my fellow elder um, in May, the church over to him in May. We're going back to the same church. And, and, and serve in a different role. So that's a big thing. Don't lose that uh, big picture. The McConnells have completed the church planning process, but we're returning to a healthy church, a church that we've already begun training in, and many of our people want to have their training finished so they can go back to their countries and bring the gospel, uh, whether it's church planting, evangelism, um, or what have you, uh, back to uh, multiple nations. We have 14 different nationalities represented in our small church. That's not a typical British church mostly because I'm a foreigner as one of their pastors. And they still tell me, Pastor, you don't speak English yet, you speak American. <laughs> and um, I know you want to know, after 20 years, Tom, where is your British accent? We're so disappointed. I know that that's the case. But if you want to find out more about that, I can just tell you very simply, it's about evangelism and, uh, and, a, and about being uh, honest. So if you want to hear the full story, talk to us at the missions table after, after the service. Well, I do want to bring you greetings uh, from our elders and our members at Grace Bible Church Rugby. I want to express my thanks to uh, your pastors and to the elders for the opportunity to be able to preach God's word to you this morning. We don't take that for granted. We've been in the States since June and we've traveled uh, through the Midwest. We've traveled all up and down the Eastern seaboard, And we're here in the state of California till the end of July, and then we'll start making our way back across uh, east um, on our way back to the UK for early September, Lord willing. We don't have a home waiting for us. All of our earthly possessions are in a 40-foot sea container parked on a farmer's field uh, with water traps in them so our stuff doesn't get all mildew uh, in Old Blighty. That's what they call England, Old Blighty. But uh, we would appreciate your prayers for not only traveling mercies, but that the Lord uh, would see us safely back uh, to Grace Bible Church Rugby, where I'll be the elder in charge of church planting. And I'll continue being the director of Grace Bible Academy, uh, where we train biblical counselors uh, through, A- uh, through ACBC um, and, um, and, and train men and women uh, in the ministry. We would appreciate your prayers. Well, just before we come to Luke chapter 8 and for our text this morning, let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you and we praise you for this opportunity uh, to gather together to uh, consider Christ, to look more closely at the Son of your love. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this church its faithful ministries over the years, and its partnership with us in spreading the gospel uh, to the United Kingdom, continental Europe, and beyond. Lord, thank you for the faithful prayers and the material support that your people here have um, offered to help us along the way. Thank you, Lord, for their continued intercession. Thank you for the sweet fellowship that we have because of the gospel and because of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless the pastors here and the elders and, and Lord, congregation as they continue to open your word, as we heard already in the Sunday school hour, and disclose what's contained in it and to be changed by it, to be transformed by the word of God and the spirit of God. Lord, my heart's prayer this morning in a congregation this size is, is twofold, that Lord, those who don't yet know you in a saving way, that you'll be gracious as you are to open their hearts to the gospel, uh, to cause your spirit uh, who moves where he wants to, uh, to bring life uh, out of death, and to cause men, women, and young people to be born again and to know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And Lord, for your children who are here at Cornerstone Fellowship Bible Church, who know you and love you and are walking with you and are faithful, I pray that they would be built up in their most holy faith. I pray that they would be encouraged. Lord, I pray that some, uh, Lord, will be challenged today in in their walk with you. Lord, our, our ultimate aim is to glorify you in all that we do. Help us, Lord, not to be glory robbers, but, Lord, to give you all the glory. Now, cause your spirit to illuminate your word so that we might hear, believe, and obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Grace Church missionaries 20 years ago, Kathy and I have seen many uh, exciting things in the lives of people who have heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We have seen uh, since our beginning, uh, our, our home assignment here back in June, our, even our two daughters, uh, Joy, who's 15, and Julia, where are you guys at? I can't see. There you are. They're over there. Joy and Julia have revealed to their parents uh, that they have come to know the Lord, and that, which was a great revelation for us uh, in those first couple months as we began our time. We've seen some wonderful um, blessings by our God and uh, this is the prayer for all uh, every parent here who knows and loves Christ isn't it that your children our children will come to know Christ uh, as lord and savior and and live for his glory and and we're so we're so encouraged by so many things We're so encouraged that God's not done saving his people in the United Kingdom. As you heard with Pastor Claudio and Sandro, they didn't get to hear the gospel on uh, on the Roman Catholic Island of Madeira. So they had to go to a place that everyone has written off as spiritually dead or too far gone to hear the gospel themselves and to be saved. God's got his remnant. God is saving his people. And and yet, while we've seen so many exciting things during these 20 years of our missionary life and work, we've also learned, and God has been teaching us, that, that many people attending the church throughout the United Kingdom and throughout the United States seem to have forgotten over the years the desperate spiritual state they were in when Jesus came to them and set them free. Some of us who have been saved for many years Uh, we we have to look back a long period of time uh, to remember uh, the desperation that we were in in that moment. Have you ever considered why many believers just saved tend to share the life-giving gospel more frequently, more passionately, and even more joyfully than believers who had been saved for decades? Have you ever wondered about that? Well, that joy once enjoyed as a delivered sinner and that gospel urgency that, that you had and I had when the Lord uh, saved us. For many over the years, as the years go on, it seems like that joy and, and, and that gospel urgency seems to be muted. It, it, it seems that uh, the more comfortable we become as life goes on, even, uh, even as we might say, as we become mature in Christ, the more silent we become about the gospel. Now, this is not a pastor preach to us about prayer. There's a couple ways to make you feel guilty, right? In the ministry, preach about prayer, right? Pastor, uh, no one ever prays enough, right? And no one ever shares the gospel enough. But this isn't about some sort of false sense of guilt. This is something, this is a message today that I hope will encourage you. Before he died, the Apostle Peter wrote, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Early in our ministry, there was an elderly man uh, and his wife. Who were in their late sixties, probably mid, probably even mid seventies, and 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 they had all the comforts of this world. They were well to do and well taken care of. But then one day they needed to go to the hospital for some routine che- checkups, and they invited me to come to read and pray as the pastor of the church. and And so I drove out some distance to the hospital where they were at. and um, And and at first everything seemed to to be just like a normal pastoral visit, albeit just in the hospital. Uh, there's, there's no problems. We're just having a routine checkup, nothing to see here. And after just visiting with them briefly, it seemed like they didn't have a care in the world. Thank you for coming, Pastor. And they, uh, and they actually bid me go. Come on, you have so many more important things to do. Just press on. So I left, and shortly after leaving, things about this man's health suddenly changed, and I was called back to the hospital. And as I entered the room a second time, I noticed panic on the man's face lying in the bed. I noticed his wife off to the side with panic on her face. And I saw the look of concern on the nurses and the doctors who were attending this man. And I knew something had changed. I asked him, I said, are you afraid? And he said, yes, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I asked him, if God brings you through this, What is there worth living for? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, he said, pastor, there were so many people in my family that I had hoped to share the gospel with and and plan to do it someday. And and if I don't make it, I, I might not be able to share the gospel with my loved ones like I had hoped and my neighbors like I had hoped. And sadly... That man entered eternity without ever sharing the gospel to those he he knew and loved. And he he only sensed the gospel need and the gospel urgency, uh, comparatively speaking, in moments before he was going to uh, enter the presence of the one we read about in Revelation chapter 5. But by this time, it was too late for him. It was too late. And my aim, my, my prayer for all of us, as we look together at God's word, is that you, that we will become burning and shining lights for Jesus, stirred up by God's word, and reminded that we have been saved and sent to glorify Christ in your, in your bullets, and they asked me to write a little something to prepare help prepare you for today's message. and I Ask that age-old question is everyone a missionary and you know Spurgeon's answer now if you've read that you bet you bet if you're a believer you are a sent one you have not been left behind and I know it was in a specific context but the Jesus said as even as the father has sent me even so send I you You've not been left behind since you've been saved. You've been sent on a mission to make disciples. If I were to say it this way, as we'll see in our text in Luke chapter 8, to tell everybody all that God, all that Christ has done for you. It's a very simple picture of making disciples, isn't it? It's not... There's no great structure to it. It's, It's very simple. Everyone can do it who's been saved and forgiven by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for all of our sins. Go and tell everybody everything that Christ, that God has done for you. And I want to stir you up this morning like Peter said as by way of reminder why God has saved you and sent you on this mission. So with that, let's look at Acts or Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Then they, that is the disciples and Jesus, sailed to the country of the garrisons. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Which is opposite Galilee, verse 27. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, And fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Verse 30. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the, in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat. And returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him, that is Jesus, that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. According to Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Luke is writing the events of chapter 8 so that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught about the person and work of Jesus. In other words, the stated authorial intent of the gospel of Luke is to bolster the faith of Theophilus, that, that is, that Theophilus may have the strength of certainty about the person and work of Jesus. I think that's a fitting, uh, fitting and appropriate uh, book for us to look at this morning, especially in our postmodern world filled with uncertainty. We need to have a certainty about who Jesus is and what he has done and how we fit into God's big plan and his will. In Luke chapter 8 verses 22 to 25 the text preceding our text is that great text where uh, the uh, the disciples and Jesus are in the boat Jesus is asleep and a storm comes suddenly upon the sea of Galilee as it was known to happen and uh, the the ship was going to be destroyed the disciples wake up Jesus and they say Lord master save us we we perish and, and, and Jesus is disturbed from his rest. He gets up. He speaks up. And, and, and he calms the sea and, and the winds and the waves. And he says, peace, be still to the winds and the waves. And the, the once storm-tossed sea of Galilee became Lake Placid. And the disciples were afraid. They were afraid, the Bible says, And they said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So in that passage, verses 22 to 25, Jesus shows his power over the forces of nature. But here in our passage, in Luke 8, verses 26 to 39, Jesus is going to show his power over the forces of darkness. Specifically, Luke 8, 26 through 39 is about a deliverance that exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our text, Jesus is going to show his power over the forces of darkness by delivering a man, listen, completely in the grip and power of demonic darkness. There are two lessons, if you're taking notes this morning, two lessons about deliverance that result in the exaltation of Christ Uh, that I want us to look at this morning. I'll give you the two lessons right up front. And the first lesson is that there's a need for Jesus's deliverance. There's a need for Jesus's deliverance, verses 27 through 33. And secondly, there's a response to Jesus's deliverance in verses 34 through 39. The need for Jesus' deliverance, verses 27 through 33, and the response to Jesus' deliverance in verse 34 through 39. I'll, I'll also uh, give you a heads up that my first point is longer than my second point. If Dr. Steve Lawson were here, he'd say I'd have a big porch and a small house. That's how he would describe the sermon. But I want us to look at these two lessons about deliverance for two human reasons, what, what the Lord is committed to accomplishing, I'll need to leave to Isaiah 55, 11, and I trust what he said there will be true today, that his word will not return void. But my own particular hope is that, first of all, by looking at these two lessons about deliverance, that, that those of you who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ will like. Our sons in the faith, Claudio and Sandro, today look to Christ alone for your needed deliverance. That you'll understand you need to be delivered and only Christ can deliver you. And for the believer that's here, my prayer is that you'll be reminded uh, of the pit from which you've been pulled and rescued, like a brand plucked from the fire, that you'll remember who you were before Jesus saved you and and remembering you'll become like this delivered man in Luke chapter 8 and spend the rest of your days reignited to glorify Christ by making him known all that he has done for you. Well, this first lesson to learn is found in verses 27 through 33 and that is there's a need for deliverance. Two things tell me uh, that this man needs deliverance from the context. There are two details that proves he needs deliverance. First, the man's description proves he needs deliverance, and the man's recognition of Jesus proves he needs deliverance. These two details. First, the man's description proves he really needs Jesus' deliverance. We see in verse 27, incidentally, he's a man from the city and uh, that's not going to be important initially you, that might be lost on you but when verses 34 and 39 roll around you'll see how significant uh his his uh, or a local origin is we see his spiritual condition in verse 27 he had demons he see his physical condition he had worn no clothes we see his current residence in verse 27 he had not lived in a house but among the tombs and we'd seen the length of captivity to darkness. Only Luke's gospel tells us this how long he'd been in the grip of darkness for a long period of time, for a long time. The other gospels make it clear in the parallel passage that there are actually two demoniacs there. Luke's gospel focuses on one. Most scholars believe that he's focused on the ringleader or the leader of the two. So we see his spiritual condition, his physical condition, his current residence, and the length of captivity. His, these descriptions prove that this man really needs deliverance. I mean, think about it. He lives among the tombs. You know, we got lost again, Mike, on the way here. Remember five years ago, we got lost and we, and, and we went to these wonderful gates and there was nothing behind it. There was just these wonderful gates. And uh, we, were, we, we were glad that we can find a place. And then this morning, we saw the lovely city center here. And uh, so we saw your town hall. And we didn't find the church. And we was like, I don't know why we didn't find the church. Google sent us here. So. Uh, but uh, he lived for a long time among the tombs. When you live for a long time among the tombs, there's a problem. <laughs> you, you're in trouble. This man needs deliverance. His description alone proves it. The second detail that proves this man needs deliverance is his recognition of Jesus. Look at verse 28. When he saw Jesus... Now, I, I want to make three observations about this man's recognition of Jesus from uh, verse 27 and 28. Or oh, I'm sorry, from uh, verse 28 and following. And then I want to, I want to unpack them. Here are the three observations about the man's recognition of Jesus. First of all, without an introduction, the man knew Jesus' name. <laughs> that proves to me he needs deliverance. Without an explanation, secondly, the man knew Jesus' true identity, verse 28b. And without hesitation, the man knew Jesus' power, all found in verse 28. First, without an introduction, the man knew Jesus' name. The text makes it clear that Jesus, no sooner does Jesus disembark from the boat and his foot touches terra firma, that this uh, intense scene takes place. And uh, it's sudden, and there's an intensity to it. The other Gospels make it clear that no traveler can walk up by this area without being offended and maybe assaulted uh, by the demoniacs or the demoniac. And uh, this is a sudden thing. Without an introduction, the man knew Jesus' name. And and, and notice he, he, he knows Jesus' name. He says in verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he knows his name. Now, it's at Christmas time. We, we tend to focus on the name of Jesus, uh, the meaning of the name of Jesus, because of the Chris, uh, Christmas narrative, don't we? And he will, his, you shall call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Be, and the name Jesus means what? Yahweh saves, Yahweh delivers, sozo, to save or deliver. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a providential meeting, isn't it? Uh, here in this passage that the man needing deliverance happened to come into the presence of Yahweh delivers. Wow, how lucky. Right? When we ministered for, uh, for two years in Northern Ireland, they'd say, oh, how lucky, how lucky. Let me tell you something about the luck of the Irish. The Irish have no luck. Okay, that's the truth of it. We're not, that, luck is not a word that's allowed to be said in the McConnell home. That's like a, a cuss word. There is no such thing as luck in a universe run by a sovereign God. And uh, this man who needed deliverance happens to, be, happens to come into the presence of Yahweh delivers. How providential. Uh, But notice, secondly, the man in need of Jesus' deliverance, listen, he is not seeking Jesus' deliverance. Don't let that be lost on you. Jesus comes to him. He doesn't go to the man. uh, The man doesn't go to Jesus. Uh, This is another example of Jesus seeking out the sinner who was, as Charles Wesley said in 1738, fast bound in sin and nature's night. No introductions were possible, no introductions were necessary. Second, without explanation, the man knew Jesus' true identity. What have you to do with me, verse 28, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now, we need to understand something here by way of application, because in a a, a church that's so well taught like you, you could be those who experience this this danger most frequently. I want to say it this way. When he said, what have, we, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Do you see how well this demon-possessed man knew who Jesus was? Do you see his, the extent of his Christology? Uh, do, do you see how, how well he understood? He had a full-orbed view of Jesus, better than most of us here as a fallen angel. And, I'm, and what I want you to hear is this, is that an accurate Christology alone cannot and does not save anybody. And it can't save you. It didn't save him. An accurate Christology alone, as one man said, either R.C. Sproul or, or, uh, or uh, Pastor MacArthur said, if you think you're saved only because you believe correct things about Jesus, all that does is qualify you to be like these demons. Close quote. There are three components to genuine saving faith. R.C. Sproul taught me the only three Latin words I know. The first first component to true saving faith is notitia. That's the, the data. In Britain, we don't give the announcements, we give the notices. So we have a few notices this morning. The notitia, you need to know the data of who Christ is, who you are as a sinner, how God is holy. And, and then there's a census. You, you need to assent that the data of the gospel and the word of God is true. And I was raised as a Roman Catholic till the age of five. And I could tell you that most Roman Catholics who are practicing will say, yes, I know the data of who Jesus is and who I am as a sinner. And I will uh, I will sign on the dotted line that I agree with that data. And yet most of them, uh, uh, most of them, if they were to die today in their present condition, knowing the data and assenting that the data is true, will die and split hell wide open because the third component is missing it's the saving component that's necessary uh, to make all three a package deal for saving faith, and that's fiducia. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The Bible says that those who come to him, uh, those, uh, that we must come to him by faith. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not merely an intellectual ascent like we believe in the historical figure of Abraham Lincoln. Oh no, my friends, it means a resting and a trusting, and here's the operative word, in Christ alone for your salvation. So many people in well-taught churches know the data of the Bible and the gospel in Christ, they assent that it's true, but they're adding like the Colossians were being tempted to do. They're trying to add to Jesus. The Jesus plus movement that was rife in Colossae is rife in America. And Jesus plus anything else is actually a minus and there's no salvation. It is Christ alone who can save you and must save you and by whom you must be delivered. And thirdly, without hesitation, the man knew Jesus' power. So we've seen already, with, with, without an introduction, he knows Jesus' name. Without an explanation, he knows Jesus' true identity. But without hesitation, the man knew Jesus' power. Notice these, uh, verse 28c, I beg you. This word beg indicates that they knew Jesus' power. It is the word de'amai means, uh, it, it's, it's from that prayer language in the, in the Bible. It's used in Luke 5, 12, where the man full of leprosy begs Jesus to heal him, and it's used by other desperate human beings. There's another uh, word used in the text in verse 31 and 32, parakaleo. They beg him. They beg Jesus. Uh, It means to make a strong request. They implore him, and, and, and they beg him. What do they beg him? Don't torment us. Uh, the, this word "torment" indicates that they knew Jesus power. The word "torment" means to subject to severe distress, to subject to punitive judicial procedures, as the lexicon says. It's used in Matthew 14, this word uh, uh, "torment, in Matthew 14:24, of a boat battered by the winds and the water. What's the previous context here in Luke 8:22? they just come off the, the high waves and the raging winds and, and waves in the context. And he's saying, please don't torment us. Don't batter us back and forth as a battered boat. Don't torment us. And notice uh, it's not here in the, in the text of Luke, but in Matthew 8:29, the parallel passage, they add, don't torment us before the time. They had a right Christology and they had an accurate eschatology. The idea of Jesus uh, tormenting anyone, however, including a demon, is counterculture to our our biblically ignorant world. You see, Jesus is often portrayed as a soft, effeminate man who never stepped on an ant. Yet I suggest you go back to Revelation, which we read earlier, and uh, and, and, and read Revelation 1, 12 through 18 for a more up-to-date picture of Jesus. Uh, we know that in Revelation 5, uh, he, is, he stands there as a lamb who had just been slain. But remember what was said earlier in the chapter, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. He's the lion. And in Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 18, he is the glorious Christ. He is so glorious, John falls down in fear before the presence of Jesus Christ. His eyes are like fires, hairs white. He's not in a wheelchair. He's not an absentee Lord. He walks among the candlesticks, among the churches. He's doing it today. He's not an absentee Lord. He's not abdicated his responsibilities. He's designated responsibilities of shepherding and care. And when it comes to this tormenting that this spirit is asking, these spirits are asking Jesus not to do before the time. I remind you of John 5, that Jesus said, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. And we see that uh, in in the early chapters of Revelation when he speaks to the churches. For I know, I know, I know, I know. Jesus knows all that's happening in the church. But more than that, Jesus, in Revelation 14, 9 through 11, speaks of those who receive the mark of the beast. It says of them that he, that one who receives the mark of the beast, shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, listen, and in the presence of the Lamb. The same lamb who's mentioned in Revelation chapter 5 who is none other than Jesus Christ. The point that you need to understand, my dear lost friend, is that the one who died on the cross to forgive the sins of all who would place their faith and trust in Him is the one who's going to judge everybody, including you. The demons know that they will face Jesus on the day of judgment. And my dear lost friend, so will you. The Lamb of God who died, who will judge the fallen angels, who will judge those who receive the mark of the beast and every unbeliever who enters into eternity. This is the Jesus who has come to deliver. He is the only one who can deliver. And finally, look at verse 28. Do not torment us. Some of you are saying, Tom, I don't hear a British accent and you're going so fast you must be from New Jersey. That's right, I'm from New Jersey. We talk a bit fast. Do you, do you see what he says? Think about this. Don't torment us, Lord. <laughs> Don't miss the irony. The demons beg Jesus not to do to them what they've been doing to these men, this man. And remember Luke's prepositional pray, uh, phrase for a long period of time. Now, I want you to look at the question Jesus asked in verse 30, because two worlds are about to collide as Jesus asks the demon, what is your name? And the demons respond, legion, for we are many. Uh, In the time of Caesar Augustus, a legion was the name given to a group of about 6,000 Roman soldiers. And and most people uh, want to ask me after the sermon, is a Roman legion the same as a demonic legion? Do I have any insight there? I don't know. I have no idea if the Roman legion is the same as a legion of demons. But it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the text. Uh, But we do need to ask the question, why does Jesus ask this question, what is your name in verse 30? I mean, uh, since he has power over the forces of nature, and since he has power over the forces of darkness, since he is God, the very son of the living God, then he knows everything. And if he knows everything, um, why does he ever have to ask a question? Use the interrogative. It's, it's not for his sake. Um, probably the best analogy from scripture that I can give you is found in 2 Kings 6 14 to 17 we don't have time to open and expound that passage but write that down 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 14 to 17 and in that passage the king of Syria has been thwarted by the prophet Elisha Uh, the king of Syria is trying to destroy Israel and God uses the prophet of Elisha to inform the prophet of Elisha of uh, the king's plans to destroy Israel, where the king is going to be with his armies. And Elisha will go to the king of Israel and say, hey, don't go down by that road. They're going to be waiting for you. And, uh, they, uh, and then finally, the, the king of Syria says, would someone tell me who is with the enemy and how it is that they know everything that we're planning to do? And one of the servants says, it's Elisha. What you speak about in your bedroom, he knows about. So the king says, we've got to take care of this troublemaker to Syria. And so he moves the army to a place called Dothan because he hears that Elisha and his servant are, are there in the city of Dothan. And early in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up, as we did perhaps this morning, probably has a, uh, maybe a cup of tea or if you're in Britain or a cup of coffee if you're an American. And, uh, and his servant looks out of the portico, he looks out of the window and And he sees the city surrounded by the Syrian army and all of their chariots and horses. And he drops his cup and he runs in and says to Elisha, Hey, get up! The city's surrounded with horses and chariots of the Syrians. We're in trouble. And then the Bible says that Elisha said to his troubled servant, Do not be afraid. Listen, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, "O oh Lord, please open His eyes that He may see." So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Back to Luke chapter eight. Jesus pulls back the veil and receipt and reveals what is happening in Luke chapter 8, through the use of His question, What is your name? He pulls back the veil to be able to show his disciples who are wondering what sort of man is this who even the seas and the winds obey him. Uh, He's showing them that while you see with your physical eyes and, and only live in the physical world, that there is a spiritual world that's coexisting at the same time. Right underneath your nose, these two worlds are still colliding every time Jesus saves someone. There's the physical world and then there's what's happening in the spiritual world. What is it that Jesus sees, that his disciples needed to see two things they needed to see? Number one, up to this point in Luke's narrative, all it looks like is it looks like Jesus versus this one demonic man. Mano imano. But his question reveals that it's not mano y mano. His disciples are starting to get a better picture. That it's, even if, uh, even if a, de- a, a demon legion is, say, half of the Roman legion, let's say they're 3,000, right? Even a, one against 3,000, that's what the real true picture is. He needs them to, to know that this is not one man versus one man. And secondly, they need to know that this is no fair fight. That's my favorite part of this sermon. This is, is no fair fight. 3,000 against one, and who's cowering? What does a weaker army do when it sees that it's vastly outmatched by its opponent? Well, it sues for peace, and that is exactly what happens. The second lesson to learn about deliverance, and I'm just looking at the time, there is a response to Jesus' deliverance. There's the response of the herdsmen, verse 34. there's, There's the response of the people. We don't have time to look at that. But let me tell you something, my dear lost friend. These, the herdsmen and the people, they are the losers in this narrative. They they are the ones who are curious, afraid, and they ask Jesus to depart. My dear lost friend, don't harden your heart to Jesus like the herdsmen and the people of the city did. All of us who had been saved by the grace uh, and delivered by Jesus know the clang-clang of that ball and chain called sin that you're carrying around. You're not unique, but you need, you like us, need Jesus' deliverance. And we know you do. We remember. We know that your only hope for deliverance is Jesus Christ. And listen, there's good news Despite the ball and chain of sin that you're carrying around, Jesus said in John 8:36, "If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed." But really there's thirdly the response of the man who was delivered and this is really where I wish I had 10 more minutes. Notice his location in verse 35, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Secondly, notice his condition. There were two changes to his condition. There was an external change. He's clothed in verse 27. He was previously unclothed. And there's an internal change. He's in his right mind. Salvation does something to the noetic effects of the fall on human beings. It helps us to think rightly again. Thinking God's thoughts after him. Notice thirdly his petition petition in verse 38 that this man delivered begs Jesus that he might be with Jesus. And that's true for every one of us who've been delivered by Jesus, isn't it? Uh, Note the contrast between the man at the beginning of the narrative. Jesus, what have I to do with you? It sounds like he doesn't want anything to do with Jesus before he saved that's just like me it's like many of you who before the lord saved you you didn't want anything to do some of you may be even here by protest this morning you just can't wait for all that dribble to be over in church just like sandro our portuguese brother who said he came to the church because he was interested in a girl yeah and she said, I won't date you unless you come to church. We didn't, recommend, we didn't recommend that strategy. Don't date unbelievers if you're a believer. But he came because he wanted to date her. And you know what he said about the preaching? He just said, man, that was so dull. That was so boring. And then one day, the Lord saved Sandro. And he walked in the church. And he was hovering like three feet off the ground with joy and gladness i got to tell you something, pastor. Yeah, I want to talk to you. Something's different about you. And now he can't get enough of the word of God. He's just, give it to me. And this is what happened with him. This unsaved, this formerly unsaved man who didn't want anything to do with Jesus, now he just doesn't want to be out of the presence of his Savior. Oh, there's so much devotionally that could be said there. But notice the contrast between this delivered man and the herdsmen and the townspeople. They asked Jesus to leave. They, they, they've had enough. They're terrified. And there's a fear, two kinds of fear. There's the fear of terror, which they have. And there's the fear of reverence, which he had, a delivered man had. Jesus, and don't miss the fourth part, his declaration. Here's the deity of Christ. Now. Jesus says, go to the man, go and declare in the city how much God has done for you. He went away proclaiming through the whole city how much Jesus Had done for him. The word "proclaim" (kairuso) means to preach, and how much God? How much refers to the details. That's if you don't know how to share the gospel, all you need to do is just start thinking biblically about the details of what Christ has saved you from and out of. You don't need to know a plan. You don't need to have a seminary degree. You do need to be saved. And then you just need to share with everyone, you know, starting with your family, how much the details of what God has done for you. The scripture makes it clear that without the grace, the saving grace and mercy of God, we are all bound in chains and gloomy darkness and powerless to deliver ourselves. Think about it. Believer, don't distance yourself from this demoniac. In many ways, we were just like him. We may have not been uh, a demon-possessed before the Lord saved us, but according to Romans 6, before our salvation, it says that we were all enslaved to sin like him. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.26, before salvation, all of us are held captive by Satan to do his will, just like this man. And Paul says in Colossians 1.13, before Jesus delivered us, that all are held in the domain of darkness, just like this man. Before salvation, all are Satan's offspring or children of the devil. According to Genesis 3.15, Satan's uh, seed. And as Jesus said in John 8.44, in that particular context, you of your, your father, the devil. Paul will say in Ephesians 5.8, you once were darkness like this man, and now you are children of the light. We have a lot in common with this delivered man. And, and, and probably the greatest mistake for believers is to say, man, I'm so glad I'm not an addict like that man. I'm so glad I'm not demon-possessed like that man. We were caught in the same Stygian midnight of darkness as him. So, believer, what ought to be your response to the word before, before you leave and as you go throughout your day today and the rest of your life, till we see you again in heaven perhaps? Number one, you ought to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Verse 35, this ought to be your regular posture. You ought to come to Sunday school where Jesus is put on display. You ought ought to be in church every time the doors are open, in the house groups, and wherever the the saints gather talking about Jesus. You you know what you've been delivered from. It's unforgettable. You, you need to be at the feet of Jesus. It's the place of learning. It's, the, it's a place of love eh, to, to learn. That's what we are. We are learners, disciples, mathetes. But it's also a place to express our love. We want to be in the presence of Christ. And it's a place of worship. Secondly, your life ought to demonstrate radical changes through two primary areas of your life. There ought to be a massive internal change. 2 Corinthians 5:17. So that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. You're not the same anymore. You've been transformed internally and there's a massive external change. And don't get the order wrong. If the man's heart had not changed, what he was wearing wouldn't have changed. We're not a legalistic church or body of Christ. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on your heart. Thirdly, your heart's desire is to be where Jesus you want to be with your with the Lord who lovingly, graciously, mercifully delivered you. Not a selfish longing for heaven to avoid the the pain and the suffering that we experience physically as this body, this outward body decays. But it's really a longing to be with your loving savior when he is done with your service here on earth. Your, fourthly, your deliverance ought to result in your exalting the Lord Jesus like this delivered man. You have been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to tell others what he has done for you. In set 1749, Wesley penned these words that we sometimes sing in the old hymn, Happy if with my latest breath, I might but gasp his name. Preach him to all and cry in death. Behold, behold the Lamb. Jesus delivered you, believer, so that you would glorify Him by telling others about Christ. And I can I close with this: that though the townspeople and and the and the herdsmen and the and the people of the city begged Jesus to depart, isn't it sad? That he does. He, he, he leaves. It seems like there's more people to deliver in, in, that need delivering in that city. But Jesus listens to their wish, but not without sending them one delivered person as a gift of grace and mercy. And for us as believers, we're that one person sent into the city we're not left behind we've been delivered to glorify Christ father thank you for this time in your word Lord we know we've gone over time and we pray that that your people here will be provoked by the scriptures that they'll be helped and encouraged those who are sharing with joy and gladness all that you have done for them but Lord, there are so many who are part of the church today in the United Kingdom and in the United States, Lord, who have who are just almost carelessly going through life, not telling people, especially the ones of their own household, all that Christ, all that you have done for them, and oh, the the guilt and the remorse that is unnecessary. Lord, I pray that you would uh, fire the hearts of your children here today. Thank you for this church and its faithfulness to your word. Lord, with all their getting of, of biblical truth and knowledge, let it cause there to be a fire that burns so that the, t- the true test of spiritual maturity will not be the knowledge that they have, the degrees on their wall, but will be, if they're able to look at those who are lost and caught in sin's grip like you do, Lord Jesus. Help us to have your compassionate eyes to see the spiritual plight of men, women, and young people and help us to say something. And Lord, as a result of it all, our prayer is that your name, your name would be honored and glorified. We ask this in your name. Amen.